Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, Kate Burdett talks with the founder and creator of the annual Caring for the Caregiver Expo, which is coming up here in Columbus. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Clay Gordon presents information about the upcoming election, a controversy involving school board members in Hilliard. And Kevin Landers reports on rising land and home values in Licking County, thanks to Intel's plans for a multi-billion dollar microchip project. In about 45 minutes, I'll talk with someone from an organization called 1000 Days, which advocates for children in daycare. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with a Ford representative about its updated Super Duty truck, which is made here in Ohio. First up on Columbus Perspective, here's Kate Burdett. I'm joined today by Brenda Spencer. She's the president of Spencer for Hire Media and founder and creator of the annual Caring for the Caregiver Expo. This year in Central Ohio, it's the third annual, and I understand they're branching out into new cities as well. Brenda, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so excited to learn more about the Caring for the Caregiver Expo. You know, thank you so much, Kate, for having me. I I love being able to share this information with your listeners and whoever's out there that needs to, you know, appreciate what caregivers go through. So tell me, how did you come up with this idea? Well, you know, um, my mother, I'm going to give you the short version because I could talk forever, but I know we don't have that kind of time. But my mother passed away in 2004 and, you know, her and my dad have been together well over 50 years and um, it was unexpected, you know, from the time she got sick to the time she passed away. And then my sister and I ended up having to take care of my dad. So, because he was just grieving and lost and hurt and just, you know, they had been together for so long. It was just, you know, really hard for him. And we had to take over his care, actually, you know, um, get guardianship over him, over everything, because he didn't want to live anymore. He was trying to leave here. We were like, oh, no, we're not having that. So we ended up taking care of him uh, for 13 years after that. And if we had to step in when, when we did, uh, which was about nine months after my mother passed away, the doctors actually told us if we hadn't done what we did when we did it, he wouldn't have lived another month. And that would, that would have been uh, toward the end of 2005. So he's lived with, uh, you know, another 13 years. He passed away in August of 2017. And, um, after that, um, I was uh, having a conversation with one of my clients around two, 2019 and God gave me the vision. God gave me the vision because I've done events uh, for years for other clients. And um, I was like, okay, you know what? We need an event and the care for the caregiver expo. And I can only give, you know, glory and honor to God because he gave me this vision to do this. And that's how it came about. And then within six months, I, you know, came up with it in April and doing my research, I found out that November is National Caregivers Month. So I said, well, what a great month to host this event. So we picked the first Saturday in November to kick off National Caregivers Month in 2019. And we've been doing it ever since, you know, we had to skip 2020 because cousin COVID came to town. Oh, Yes. Uh, yes, but this year we're our third annual and I'm just so excited. The first Saturday in November, the 4th, correct? It's the 5th, actually. I'm glad I Saturday, asked. Saturday, 
November the 5th. Mm-hmm. And where are you holding this? And we will be at the beautiful downtown boathouse. It's called the boathouse. It used to be the Confluence. Mm-hmm. I think they still call it at Confluence Park. Mm-hmm. But it sits right there on the Scioto, you know, and a beautiful location where they have all the big picture windows. And you can see the river. You can see downtown. And we have the entire venue for the day. In this beautiful venue, tell me what is going to be happening. Tell me about the expo now that we know why you had this amazing idea. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, how I, how I came up with the idea, uh, what I did was when I put it together, I wanted to put everything into this expo that my sister and I went through, you know, because we it was a whole learning process and, you know, challenging and everything. You know, luckily, my sister and I, you know, we are very close and we're on the same page. Her name is Tanya, by the way. Um and she was the hands-on care with that. And then I handled the business side of it. So that's what I put into this. So, of course, we have the main ballroom with tons of vendors that, you know, and we're so blessed this year. I have to give credit to uh, Franklin County Office on Aging came on board this year as our presenting sponsor. So we have, you know, OSU and different uh, Hondros College and several other organizations that provide services that will be in the main ballroom. They have information and resources. So then we I put together in one of the rooms a lunch and learn session because our host is the Ohio Sickle Cell and Health Association. They're our nonprofit host. So they came on board and um, they were a perfect partner because those parents' children are born sick, as many other parents, you know, are dealing mm-hmm. with. So they're caring for them pretty much all their lives. So the Lunch and Learn Room gives people an opportunity to hear different speakers in half an hour sessions to go over things like dealing with um, the legal aspect, an attorney, insurance, that we're going to have um, understanding Medicaid and Medicare. We're going to have somebody they're talking about probate and you don't know what you don't know. You'll hear it's an opportunity to sit and lunch and ask questions and find out all of this information that you need when you're a caregiver. So all different topics. Then we have the pampering room, which is the most popular. It's a closed door room. It's beautifully decorated. And that's where you can get a massage, reflexology, a mini manicure, a facial, all kinds of wonderful, relaxing things to help a caregiver, you know, for this day to let them come in and just relax. Okay. And then why to get rid of that stress that they're dealing with. A little respite. Yes. Then our last room is the get fit and healthy room. And in that room, they get to experience meditation and yoga and Zumba and um, uh, aerobics and line dancing. And we're going to have a lady actually doing chair yoga. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a lady doing a CPR demonstration. And then there's some nurses from um, OSU that are going to do some healthcare screenings with blood pressure and glucose. And then we have, of course, have lots of other vendors and exhibitors there. And and the one thing that I know that our people love that have come year after year is we give away tons and tons of prizes. We make it really fun, really relaxing, and everything is free. So you can't can can't not show up because it's free to park, it's free to get in, it's free lunch and learn, and then tons of prizes. All the services are free. Everything you experience is free. Now, we do have some vendors that are selling some things so they can, you know, purchase some things. But 
It's a wonderful day. We're talking to Brenda Spencer, the president of Spencer for Hire Media and the founder and creator of the annual Caring for the Caregiver Expo is happening Saturday, November 5th at the Boathouse at Confluence Park in Columbus. And this event, as you were just saying, Brenda, free to anyone who is interested. Now, we talk about caregivers. We talk primarily about people who are dealing with elderly people in their in their lives, close family members, friends and, and so forth. Who else would you include if you were making out an invitation list for this? Everybody, if, you know, and I, and I get that a lot when people call me, they go, well, I'm not a caregiver. And I say, well, are you a parent? And they go, yeah, I'm like, you're a caregiver. Mm hmm. So, you know, and it's not restricted to senior citizens because, you know, some of the older folks that do come, I always say, bring your adult children. Now, this is an adult only event. So you do have to be 18 or over to get in. But um, we do. I invite people I'm like everybody should come because in my research, I'm going to double back a little bit. When I was putting this together in my research, I found that. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter, who we all know and love, has been um, care, caring for caregiving. Caregiving is her platform. Okay. She actually has a Caregivers Institute in Georgia. So when I looked her up, I'm like, wow, she would be great to be an ambassador or whatever for this. And she has a famous quote. And her quote is, there are four kinds of people in this world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are caregivers, those who will be caregivers and those who are going to need caregivers. Mm -hmm. So that's everybody, <laughs> you know? So when I talk to the, uh, uh, the uh, older folks that want to come, you know, I say, bring your adult children because it's a wonderful time for them to have those hard, challenging conversations with their children and grandchildren to say, hey, this is what I want you to know about my personal business. Here's the insurance papers. Here's the legal stuff. Here's what, if I can't care for myself, here's where what I want. You know, I want to be at home. I want to be in a, in a, in a uh, nursing home or assisted living. It's that time you can have those, what I call rip the bandaid off conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, because a lot of people haven't had those conversations and it's great for siblings, brothers and sisters. So when families come together, they can talk to each other and say, well, this is what mom wants. This is what dad wants. This is what I want. You know, you have to share this information. And this is a perfect opportunity. It really sounds like it. Generationally speaking, it seems like we hear a lot of statistics that Right now, there are so many people, and they, they use that term sandwich generation. Yes, so you yes. have people that are caring for elderly parents or elder, elderly family members, as well as their own children. And when, yeah. I, when I think of that as someone who doesn't have children myself, but I've, you know, definitely I'm, my friends and I are watching as our parents get older and, and pass on. Mm -hmm. It can be very overwhelming to consider all of the things that you may suddenly be thrust into, uh, you know, responsibility for. Well, and that's where me and my sister were, you know, because I was in my 40s at the time, but I was, I call it the baloney in the sandwich. I was the baloney <laughs> because my dad was over me. And then I had a teenage daughter. Mm -hmm. I had a, you know, 15 year old daughter. So, and, and on top of that, I had to deal with my own grief. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I'm saying we're grieving and hurting too, but we were, like I said, we didn't know, you know, you don't know when God's going to call you home that, you know, mom was going to pass and we had to take care of dad, although they raised us right. You know, they had conversations with us. We, it was only the two of us. So we knew, 
you know, where like the paperwork was, where the insurance papers were, we had keys to the house, all of this kind of stuff. But it was challenging. Mm -hmm. I used to say hard, but I don't say hard anymore. It was extremely challenging to have to deal with your own grief, then deal with somebody else's business. Because I always say, it's hard enough taking care of your own business. Now imagine having to take care of somebody else's business. And I'm talking about their banking, their insurance, their Medicaid, Medicare, if they have it, if they don't have it, you know, where's, where's it all going? Am Do I have access to the bank accounts? Mm-hmm. Do I need to get a power of attorney? It's just so much. And that's why I put all of that into this expo. Well, it sounds like an amazing opportunity for caregivers, future caregivers, those who may just be caregiver curious and expand their knowledge and to get a little a little self-care along the way. Yes, yes, because there's so many things out there. You know, we have wonderful exhibitors and vendors who are donating their time to, you know, to give you the pampering and give you the get fit and healthy stuff. And everybody has just such a wonderful time. I mean, these are business owners that uh understand and are giving back to the community, you know, with the massages and the reflexology and the mini pedicure, mini manicures, all kind of stuff that they do. And like I said, they get tons and tons of information and prizes when they come in and uh, we have a lot of fun. Now, here's the thing. We do ask that, um, you know, people sign up online and because uh, I only reserve like 500 tickets, but once those are almost gone this year, but we do accept walk-ins. Okay. Okay. And speaking of reserve online, where can someone do that? They can just go to the website, which is caringforthecaregiverexpo.com. And then there is a drop down across the top where you just click on register. And there are two things will pop down when you click on that. And one will say Columbus and one will say Toledo. Well, if you're in Columbus, you're coming to, you know, click Columbus to register. And and I wanted to be able to tell you, you mentioned it earlier. And this is our first year. We'll be in Toledo, Ohio. I'm so excited. We're expanding. That's so. very exciting to be expanding to new cities. And uh, yes. the whole state of Ohio soon will learn more about caring for the caregiver. And we get support from the Congress gives us resolution. We got a letter from um, former First Lady Rosalind, uh, Rosalind Carter, which we include in every, she, she was one of our initial, our inaugural um, supporters and endorsements. She did endorse the uh, expo. Um, the governor, the mayor, city council, the Senate, they all have given us letters because we do a souvenir program, book and resource directory, and they all have supported us. They, everybody knows that how important this is. And I appreciate your help in spreading the word, you know, and by the grace of God, we'll be all over the country soon because <laughs> we're going to be adding Cleveland and Cincinnati and Tampa and Baton Rouge over the next couple of years. People uh, across the country have reached out to me. So we're going to make it work for everybody because caregivers are everywhere. Everybody needs this. That's true. The third annual Caring for the Caregiver Expo is Saturday, November 5th in Columbus, And if you'd like more information, again, it's caringforthecaregiverexpo.com. 
Brenda Spencer, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you at this year's event as well. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their requests to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 4. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com. And thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Clay Gordon from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. how desperate this guy is for political power. I think I struck a nerve with this guy. A hot-tempered debate in the tight U.S. Senate race between a Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan and Republican J.D. Vance. Thanks for joining us for Face the State. I'm Clay Gordon. Tracy Townsend will return next week. An average of recent polls shows how close this campaign really is. Vance has a small edge with just weeks left until Election Day. Here are where the candidates stand on some of the big issues, and we start with abortion. Tim Ryan. So Lindsey Graham, who is a major leader in the Republican Party in the Senate, has said he wants a national abortion ban. And we've seen how difficult this has been here in Ohio. We see a couple stories uh, every week where women are in difficult circumstances and Ohio health care workers won't take care of them. So they have to go to Illinois or they have to go to Indiana with a tragedy, a tragedy. Pregnancy through rape, a tragedy towards the end of a planned pregnancy. When you have a, a room, a crib, binkies, blankets, parties planned, it's tragic. And J.D. and his extreme crew, they want to have a national abortion ban. They're not happy with people having to go to Illinois. They want people to get a passport and have to go to Canada. Largest governmental overreach in the history of our lifetime. J.D. Vance. The, the 10-year-old girl who had to travel to Indiana to get an abortion, obviously an incredibly tragic situation. I'm the father of a nine-month-old girl. It's unbelievable. I can't even imagine what it would be like to have that happen to your child, or God forbid, if you were a young woman, to have that happen to yourself. That little girl was raped by an illegal immigrant, and both the media and Tim Ryan need to be honest about the fact that she would never have been raped in the first place if Tim Ryan had done his job on border security. Now, when it comes to the problem of inflation, here's how the candidates said they would solve the issue for Ohioans. I understand that, and that's why I've been calling for a tax cut in the short term uh, to put money in people's pockets. J.D. said that that was a gimmick, but it's actually an opportunity for us to put more money in people's pockets. 
The Inflation Reduction Act also drives down uh, our deficit by $300 billion, which will help pull some money out of the economy. And one of the big drivers of inflation is that our supply chains are locked up. So over the last 30 or 40 years, there are a lot of really wealthy people, and Democrats and Republicans passed trade deals that shipped our jobs overseas. Now, here we have a pandemic, economic collapse. Our supply chains aren't here. And so the Inflation Reduction Act is, said, is saying, how do we bring the supply chains back? And that's what we've been working on here. He says that I believe the tax cut is a gimmick. I think a tax cut's a great idea. But when you propose it, Tim, it is a gimmick. Because in your time in Congress, you voted to raise taxes $6.7 trillion, 113 times. And just a few weeks ago, in the Inflation Reduction Act itself, it raises taxes by $20 billion on working people in this state and in this country. And then it sticks 87000 thousand IRS agents to go after them. I think to bring down inflation, we need to do two things. First of all, we need to stop spending money that we don't have. The runaway spending is one of the reasons why we have inflation. When it came to the topic of gun control, the candidates were asked where they stood on the controversial Ohio law that allows teachers to be armed. I just think it's very, very dangerous to think that, that you're going to have a school teacher shooting into a crowd of kids and I, I, get, I get the sentiment, for sure, because it's scary. But the question is, in all of these instances, we tried to pass some reasonable gun safety legislation that Rob Portman supported. It was a bipartisan effort, and J.D. Vance opposed it. Like, this was not an extreme bill. This, this didn't close the gun show loophole. It didn't go into background checks. It didn't go into the Charleston loophole. It didn't go into any of that stuff, which I support. But he was against it. I think allowing properly t trained teachers to carry firearms can be part of the solution. I think increasing funding for school resource officers can be part of the solution. I think a very, very important part of the solution of reducing crime, both in our schools and in our streets, is making sure, and it sounds crazy common sense, but making sure that we lock up violent criminals. And here's, here's the thing about, about Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan, when he was running for president, of course, he was a different guy two years ago when he was running for president. He supported ending cash bail. And we know, just in this community, a guy who was let out on nominal bail, who went and got a gun and went and murdered his, his, somebody in this community because we don't have the proper policies in place to ensure the violent criminals go off for a long time. And when asked how they would tackle the opioid epidemic, the candidates actually shifted the conversation to border security. Stronger border, more border patrol. I disagree with President Biden when he's talking about relax, uh, relaxing some of the regulations down on the border. Completely disagree with that. Again, taking on my own party when I think they're wrong. I started the Border Technology Caucus. How do we use technology today to be able to keep this junk out of our uh, out of our country. And we have to punish the Chinese because they know it's getting into our country. We have to punish the Mexicans, the Mexican government, because it's coming, it's getting processed there and coming into our country. So we've got to do the security piece. And I was a lead sponsor of, with Senator Portman of the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act. But let me, let me address a bigger issue here. So what Tim Ryan said about dealing with border security actually sounds okay. 
but it goes to the heart of why Tim Ryan has been a failed leader and would be a failed senator. You cannot honestly pretend to be a defender of border security when you have voted for amnesty multiple times in the Congress. You cannot pretend to be a defender of border security when you have voted against border wall funding multiple times. You know, members of Congress get to take somebody to the State of the Union address. And a few years ago, Tim Ryan took somebody to the State of the Union address, not somebody affected by the opioid problem, not a steel worker who lost his job because Tim Ryan didn't do his. He took an illegal alien. His entire 20 years in Congress, he has been anti-border security, and now we're paying the consequences for it. And my simple argument to Tim Ryan, or to especially people in the Mahoning Valley, is if you don't do your job, you don't deserve a promotion. Do your job on border security, Tim, then come and ask the people of Ohio for a promotion to the U.S. Senate. Now to the gubernatorial race. One political group is calling Ohio's governor out on his refusal to debate. We spotted this billboard at the corner of South High and West State Streets here in Columbus. The group Ohio Women Rising used this screen to ask why Governor DeWine won't debate his Democratic opponent, Nan Whaley. When we asked the governor about this, this was his response. So I'm out every single day in Ohio, uh, listening to the people of Ohio, but also available, uh, you know, for anyone to ask me questions. Uh, I do this every single day. The governor's campaign did tell us he will participate in an editorial board with the Plain Dealer. According to a new USA Today poll, DeWine is leading Whaley 55.8% to 38.4%. Along with the Senate and the governor's race, issue one will be on every ballot in the state come November. The amendment would change the way our state handles cash bail. State officials say it would make our streets safe, while civil rights activists say it widens economic disparities in our state. TV's Yolanda Harris breaks down the issue. Issue 1 is a direct response to an Ohio Supreme Court decision made in January. The justices decided judges in our state would no longer be required to consider public safety when it comes to cash bail. This is because they say it could lead to excessive bail amounts, which remains unconstitutional. It changes that. It changes the Constitution, puts it right in there, and makes it clear that a judge can consider the safety of the community when they set bond. Just common sense. Supporters of the issue claim it would help keep offenders from getting back on the streets and possibly committing more crime. Especially in domestic violence cases, we have this constantly where people are getting out and they go back and abuse their wife again. Those against the issue claim it would only widen racial and economic disparities in our state. Issue one will actually just allow courts to set high cash bail that has nothing to do with the person returning to court under the guise of public safety. A policy manager with the Office of the Ohio Public Defender says the amendment would promote the theory guilty until proven wealthy. What will happen is then wealthy people who may or may not be dangerous will just pay their bail and they'll go home whereas low-income Ohioans will not be able to do that. On November 8th, Ohioans will be charged with deciding whether Issue 1 should be amended into our state constitution. Crime prevention is victim prevention, and so that's why we need to support issues like this. And the data is really clear that when individuals are stuck in jail, when they are legally innocent, waiting for their trial, they are more likely to lose their jobs, their homes, their families. Yolanda Harris reporting there. Issue 2 is also statewide and concerns who can legally vote. If Issue 2 is approved, these would be Ohio's requirements. There are two changes here. Ohio already has a law declaring every citizen that can vote. Now it will only read that only citizens can vote. 17-year-olds who would be of legal age before the general election are currently able to vote in primaries, 
but issue two would change that. Secretary of State's office released statewide voting numbers, which show so far 71,000 Ohioans have voted in person and 871,000 have requested an absentee ballot by mail. That equals to the amount of 943,000 ballot requests, which is a 2.7 increase from the same point in the 2018 gubernatorial election. A warning about scammers taking advantage of voters. Odds are you've gotten a call, text, or email from campaigns already trying to get your vote. But scammers are using that same tactic to get your information. Reporter Liza Lucas is showing you how to spot a fake. Scammers prey on emotions. Criminals know that voters care. And with the midterm elections here, the Better Business Bureau warns voters to be on alert. Criminals are pretending to be affiliated with your party or your candidate. While actual campaign supporters call people to conduct surveys or solicit donations, Simone Williams with the BBB says scammers often do the same thing. They might receive a poll, survey, or donation request, but it's really could be an attempt to steal your personal information. Williams says to watch for unsolicited phone calls, texts, and emails, especially hyperlinks, which can trick voters with a fake version of a candidate's website or install malware on your device. And while legitimate pollsters might ask for demographic information or want to know what party you support, a scammer will push for more. Asking you personal questions like social security numbers or birth dates, that's a red flag. Ultimately, if something seems off, protect yourself, and take your questions to your local elections office. The voters can always reach out to your local um, county board of election, and they'll, they'll definitely get you an answer. Liza Lucas reporting there. Great reminder for these types of scams. Don't answer an unknown number. The BBB says the scammers can't trick you if they can't reach you. Coming up next, a vote of no confidence for three Hilliard school board members. Why some want the board members out and others are pushing that they stay. If you let your passport expire during the pandemic, you are not alone. The State Department says it's still working through a backlog of applications and it could take up to 10 weeks to renew. Brandon Lewis from our National Verify team looks into claims that you can now apply for a passport online. Renewing a passport usually means mailing off a stack of documents, new photos, and your current passport, and then waiting. But a viral tweet with more than 150,000 likes claims you can now renew your passport online, which elicited a lot of celebratory gifs. So let's verify. Can you now renew your passport online? Our sources are the Department of State and the White House. In 2021, President Joe Biden signed an executive order directing government agencies to improve their customer service by adding online tools. He specifically called on the State Department to offer online passport renewals. Over the summer, the State Department launched a pilot program that allowed 25,000 volunteers to renew online. The spots were quickly filled. There was another test in September, and a third started on October 11th. The program is only for people who are renewing unexpired passports, have no updates, and have a digital photo handy, among other requirements. So, yes, you can now renew your passport online. If all of the spots are filled when you go to apply, you can either wait until the next pilot or renew by mail. The State Department says it can still take up to 10 weeks to process online applications, but you don't have to worry about your documents getting lost in the mail. With your Verify, I'm Brandon Lewis. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. 
Back to Clay Gordon, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back to Face the State. The Hilliard Education Association said it has lost confidence in three of its local board members. The group voted in what's become a strong warning to elected officials. 10TV's Bryant Somerville shows us why that decision was made and why some parents disagree with it. That we have voted no confidence in Nadia Long, Beth Murdoch, and Zach Bruce. This cell phone video, taken last Monday at the Hilliard City Schools Board of Education meeting, shows Hilliard Education Association President Lena Jordan telling the board that three members have received a vote of no confidence. We don't believe they can carry or uphold the values of the organization and of our district. She claims members Beth Murdoch, Zach Vorst, and board president Nadia Long violated board policy. What we are hoping for is that the Board members know that we are watching them and their lack of transparency and procedure. She claims the tipping point was the meeting on September 12th when she says a matter was discussed and instead of taking it to a required second and third reading, President Long put the matter to a pass or fail vote. On this specific issue, it boils down to religious bigotry. Lisa Breedlove Chafee is the Director of Parents' Rights and Education for Ohio. She is the parent of a 10th grade student in the district and took this video last week. She says the issue that was voted on concerned the policy allowing students to receive off-campus religious training during the school day. The matter passed three to two. Chafee says the uproar is because the union never wanted the matter to pass. Jordan disagrees. The issue was not with the vote itself. It was with the last minute changes in the language. Jordan says two of the board members did not receive the language on the issue until hours before the meeting and that close to 800 of the union's 1,200 plus members signed the petition. Those signatures, because of what she calls harassing emails to the teachers, have not been released. Until we see those signatures, I don't believe they exist. Jordan says it's that lack of transparency and flagrant violations in policy that she says do not represent the values of parents, students, and citizens of Hilliard. Chafee sees it as an unneeded political tug of war. It seems like you are saying there might need to be a vote of no confidence for union leadership. That's exactly what I'm saying. Bryant Somerville, 10 TV News. Jordan says they are not asking for board members to resign. They only want matters to be handled by the book. President Nadia Long responded to the vote. Her statement said in part, quote, board members and district personnel will not always agree. However, we all support the academic commitment plan with the goal of implementing innovative approaches toward building students' success. Long also said they tried to come to the table with the HEA and a federal mediator. House Democrats introduced a new House bill that would support child sexual assault survivors. Democrats from Youngstown and Akron introduced House Bill 732. They are calling it the Protect Child Victims Act. It would give child sexual assault and abuse victims the ability to apply for an emergency award for any health care treatment, including abortion care. We spoke with one of the sponsors of the bill. This, this bill came out of the out of just sheer like horror and disgust when when the entire world heard of the 10 year old Ohio child who had to leave because she was uh, six weeks and one day uh, 
pregnant after being sexually assaulted. And we realized that not everyone has the resources that they need for her to tra- for them to travel out of state. There are lost wages that have to come into consideration. There are travel expenses, hotel rooms, plus abortion care in another state. So this is something that these families or these children of sexually abused children in these victims in these situations need these resources immediately. The Ohio State University being honored for its mission to be inclusive to all. The university and the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center demonstrated a clear commitment to building and maintaining a community that reflects diversity and improves opportunities for all. Ohio is a disability inclusion state and a model employer of individuals with disabilities. The award is part of the state's way of bringing attention to National Disability Employment Awareness Month. This is the fifth time Ohio State has been recognized for this award. It's official. The federal government's website to apply for student loan forgiveness is now up and running. But how hard and complicated is the application process? TNTV's Olivia Eugenio has everything you need to know to get your money. We wanted to see how long it would take to fill out the student loan forgiveness form. We were done in under a minute, just like Joshua and Logan Cook. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, this is going to be like another homework to do thing or like doing my taxes. And it wasn't at all. It was really easy. The two both went to Ohio State and graduated with debt. I owe like 55000 approximately. And I'm 35000 but they qualify for student loan forgiveness. Today, I'm announcing how millions, millions of people working in middle class folks can apply for get this relief and it's simple and it's now. President Biden announced the site to apply for student loan forgiveness is up. Here's who qualifies. If you are single and make under $125,000 a year, and if you're married and make less than $250,000 a year, then you'll get money. You'll get $10,000 if you did not receive a federal Pell Grant and $20,000 if you did. That can be a huge amount. About a third of the people out there, that $10,000 completely wipes out their student loans. And since both Joshua and Logan had Pell Grants, they're getting $40,000 in forgiveness, an amount of money that's life-changing. Being able to be out of debt by, you know, and not have to pay on loans into our retirement, it's a lot. It's hard to get back on your feet. Olivia Eugenio, 10TV News. So when will you get your money? It's still unclear. Legal challenges could delay the process or even derail the program. So there's no rush to apply. You have until the end of 2023 to make your claim. First, Intel, then Honda. Now another manufacturing company in Ohio is getting a boost from millions in federal funding. Hi, I'm Dom Tiberi. Nine years ago, we lost our daughter Maria to a distracted driving accident. To honor her life, we have pledged to educate young people on the dangers of distracted driving. We funded simulators and visited schools to inspire more than 120,000 young drivers to stay safe. Help spread Maria's message in your school. Contact us at mariasmessage at 10tv.com. And remember, distracted driving is dangerous driving. We make decisions every day. How to spend your weekend. What to wear. But some decisions are bigger than others. Don't let others make decisions for you. Vote. Polls will be open on November 8th, and early in-person and absentee voting is available right now. 
No matter what you choose, you can be confident your vote is secure and your voice will be heard. Big or small, your decisions matter. Visit VoteOhio.gov for voting locations and hours. Sponsored by Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Aired by the OAB and this station. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Clay Gordon, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back. Right now, our state is set to get a chunk of a nearly $3 billion federal grant to promote manufacturing. The White House made the announcement earlier. All the money will go toward election vehicle battery production in 12 states. $75 million will go to Cerebro Solutions, which is expanding in Lancaster. So essentially what we're doing here is incentivizing private companies to build the kind of things that batteries need in it to work so that manufacturing facilities can put the battery together and then car manufacturers can put the batteries in the car to make them work. So that on top of the EV charging stations that we're laying down, these are the investments that are actually going to ease up our supply chain, make us more energy dependent and make sure that we have high paying jobs that are making products with products that are actually made in America. Teddy B keeping an eye on Intel. Licking County is experiencing what many are calling the Intel effect. Ever since the company announced it would build the world's largest semiconductor plant, land prices and home prices are the highest in a decade. As 10TV's Kevin Landers explains, even if you don't live near the site, you won't be able to escape it all. Intel won't have this site completed until at least 2025, but its impact on land and housing prices in Licking County is already being felt. Thanks to Intel, the price of an acre of land in Licking County is higher than it's ever been, says Licking County Auditor Michael Smith. So we're seeing increases uh, on just farmland, maybe 20000 an acre in 21 to $45,000 an acre in 22. And that's a $25,000 jump in one year. The values um, closest to Intel are, are increasing at a much higher rate than anything else in the county. When the New Albany company assembled the pieces of land to acquire the Intel site, even Intel had to pay more than it was worth. The New Albany company ended up purchasing for about 70000 an acre um, and then ended up selling that to Intel for about 110000 an acre. It's not just farmland that's going up in value. Home prices here are also on the rise. We're seeing probably um, a 30 to close to 40% increase just in residential values. Realtor Andrew Guansell runs one of the largest realtor companies in the area. He says low price Licking County is history. Best time to bought land Licking County was about five, 10 years ago. He says most realtors used to know what homes would sell for a year or two out, but Intel changed that. That crystal ball has kind of gone out the window. He says the reason is more people are moving to the area, but the supply of homes isn't keeping up with demand. If somebody was, had a need for a condo on a Saturday, you could show them 10. And now it's literally a rat race. Add in the Intel effect, he says, and homes are selling for much more after Intel's announcement. He says even if you don't own a home near Intel, the impact on the housing market will be felt in neighboring counties. Do you see the prices of land and prices of homes going up outside the ring of the Intel border? Yes, definitely. And we've already seen it. For decades, Licking County was always seen as a place where someone could buy an affordable home. Experts say now trying to find a house under 300000 is almost unheard of. Reporting from Licking County, Kevin Landers, 10TV News. So let's talk about the numbers. In September of last year, the median listing home price in Licking County was 310000 That's up 14.9% year over year. Well, I want to say thank you for being with us here today. And remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state.
That's again Clay Gordon, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. It might be hard to imagine, but there's a place where you can find a restaurant on every corner. A place where you can eat like a king for as little as a dollar. It might be hard to imagine, but this is the same place where the school lunches aren't just delicious. They're themed with palate pleasers like mozzarella stick Mondays, taco Tuesdays, and French Fridays. Heck, even pizza counts as a vegetable here. This is a place where the fast food just keeps getting faster. You can even order delivery right from your video game console. And how's the food, you ask? Well, it is to die for. Don't believe us? Just ask the friends and family of the 300,000 who did last year. Welcome to the state of America. Welcome to Obesity USA. Population 115 million and getting bigger by the day. To learn more, go to visitobesity.org. That's visitobesity.org. Brought to you by the Pennington Biomedical Research Foundation. We don't want you on our team. You're not the right fit for this job. You're too slow and fat. Don't you care how you look? Weight bias hurts. Go to stopweightbias.com. A public service message from Obesity Action Coalition. This is a St. Jude moment. Ashton was a high-level athlete, and in a an instant, your world flips, and your healthy five-year-old competitive cheerleader has a brain tumor. And the physician was like, your best option is St. Jude. Receiving treatment that was life-saving for our child and knowing that that treatment would be of no cost to us was a huge weight lifted. Learn more at stjude.org. Need to visit the Ohio BMV? Go online first. It could save you a trip. It's now easier and more convenient than ever to get what you need from the BMV online. Need to renew your driver's license? Renew online. And if you need to renew your vehicle registration, visit one of our new BMV Express kiosks or go online. If you do need to visit a BMV agency, use the Get In Line online tool, also found on the website, to save your spot and minimize your time waiting. For more services available online, check out bmv.ohio.gov. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Blythe Thomas, who is the Initiative Director for 1,000 Days. How are you? I'm well. Good to speak with you. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what 1,000 Days is. The 1,000 Day window is from pregnancy to age two. And what happens in that first 1,000 days sets the foundation for every day that follows. How well or how poorly mothers and children are nourished and cared for has a really profound impact on a child's ability to grow, learn, and thrive. And good nutrition in particular plays a critical role in a child's development during that time. And your organization, along with the American Journal of Public Health, is uh, embarking on a mission to put a, a focus on this, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we just launched it. It's about 70 pages, 15 authors, and we're really trying to you know, illuminate and highlight um, that you know, there's a, a big need for additional support for families and children, including improving access to healthy foods, increasing access to strong nutrition and health programs, and providing nutrition education and training for families and healthcare providers. Think about the thousands of babies and toddlers in Ohio that are in daycare eight hours a day. 
those centers really need our support to make sure the foods and snacks they're providing are nutritious and will help fuel the growth of our little ones. There's been a lot of attention in recent years, really, on school lunch programs and even the summer lunch program that where kids can get access to food during the summer when they're not in school. But we don't hear a lot about kids that are too young for that. And I guess that's equally, if not more important. Absolutely. Um, you know, that time, especially then from zero to two, uh, when the, the brains of these sweet babies are growing the fastest and nutrition is the fuel that, that grows, that helps with that growth development. And nutrition security in early education and childcare centers can be a lifeline for families and play a critical role in the overall system. Well, the daycare industry was turned upside down during the pandemic. And from what I understand, it was uh, making a slow recovery because it was just such a, you know, there were still a lot of parents that were working from home and maybe not needing daycare and daycares lost some of their revenue because of that and then therefore lost some of their staff. They've really been struggling. Absolutely. I mean, let's not forget that childcare workers are basically heroes. They work long days and they give so much love to our kids that are in their care. And the pandemic was really crushing, really difficult um, for parents as well. I mean, you know, millions of, of women didn't return to work after the pandemic. You know, things felt like they were really upside down. But just to reiterate, I think the role that childcare providers play uh, is just so vital, especially for our babies in that thousand day window. And, you know, they need our support as well. Um, it's difficult. It's difficult to find great childcare that's affordable, um, that's available in your area. And, you know, it's difficult for childcare providers, but I am positive that we can make it work. I know that working together as parents and care providers, we can create the best possible environments for all of our children. And really, we have to. We have to keep working at this because what happens to those little babies during that time frame has an impact on every day for the rest of their life. And I also just believe that both, you know, Child care providers and parents are superhuman. What we do, how we can survive just about anything and keep raising these kids. I know we can do this, but we've got to work together and we've got to lean on, you know, federal support. We have to ask for help from the government when it, these times are really challenging. And that's what I was going to ask. Uh, talking with Blythe Thomas, who is the initiative director for 1000 Days. Are there federal programs that provide food for daycares similar to schools and their lunch programs or what? Yes, absolutely. And it's critical. Um, Today, 4 million children in this country receive nutritious meals and snacks in a setting that has support from, it's a program called the Child and Adult Care Food Program. And I think it's the most promising opportunity CACFP or the program can equitably promote food and nutrition security. They provide free meals to all children in a childcare setting. A provider can ensure a certain degree of nutrition security for everyone in their care, regardless of their family's income. And participation in the program can promote financial stability for the daycare provider and improve sustainability of local childcare in your community. Did the formula shortage, which I guess is still kind of there a little bit, has that entered into this at all? Has it created any uh, waves of concern for daycares? Oh, absolutely. I mean, early child care centers can you know, really provide that lifeline. And especially, you know, the formula shortage that happened in this country 
should never have happened. It's absolutely a disaster. And the good news is that a um, lot of mistakes have been learned and are being corrected. I think critical for me at Thousand Days, we are big supporters of number one, feeding babies safely. You know, that level of nutrition security is really important. So whether it's the safety of formula or whether we can invest to help more women be able to have the opportunity to breastfeed. I'm so, I'm kind of a fanatic about this in the sense that not all women can breastfeed. It's so difficult right now. So we have to give them all the best opportunity to do that. If you don't have paid leave, if you're going back to work, you have, you're working two jobs, it's just impossible to keep up with those goals. And we know that if you can breastfeed, it's actually better for the baby and for the mom. It has tremendous benefits, reducing the potential of diabetes, ovarian cancer. Uh, it's really important. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm pleased that the government stepped up the way that they did. And I'm pleased that there's some important laws in place now and better protections to make sure that we don't go through anything like that again. And that is an interesting point you made, though, because I've read uh, stories of uh, women who don't breastfeed their children for those reasons that you mentioned who are stigmatized. I mean, they, people sometimes look down on them thinking, why are you looking for formula? You shouldn't be doing it anyway. Can you imagine how difficult? I mean, what kind of pressure are we trying to put on these women? It's crazy. No, I think what has to happen is we've got to have protections in place. We have to make it easier for people to achieve those goals. And, you know, the last thing that people should do is point fingers at each other. If we're going to point fingers, let's look at what's happening. Is it the industry? Is it these formula companies? Is it local, federal government? Let's let's work together to find better solutions, not point fingers at one another. Talking with Blythe Thomas, Initiative Director for 1000 Days. Blythe, how can folks find out more about this effort that you're talking about or get involved or just get more information? Yeah, thanks. So, um, first, if there's anyone listening that's struggling to find the right child care, I really like this website, childcare.gov. It walks you through how to find care near you. You put in your zip code and also how to access financial support if you qualify. And then for us, we are parents at 1000 Days and we're with you. We know how difficult parenting can be and we want to be a place where people can engage and communicate with us. So you can visit our website, thousanddays.org, but especially join us on Instagram and Facebook and be part of our robust community. I'm always so humbled by the families who are on our channels and you know, speaking about all the struggles that they're having and also sharing their successes. Okay, Blythe Thomas, Initiative Director for 1000 Days. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Science is not an opinion. People come before pipelines. It's not too late to act on climate. No one is above the law. At Earth Justice, we hold these beliefs to be self-evident. As a national legal nonprofit fighting for your right to a healthy environment, we are 150-plus lawyers representing clients free of charge because now, more than ever, the Earth needs a good lawyer. No one fights more cases on the environment than Earth Justice. And we win because these are fights we cannot lose. We win for scientists so they can serve at the EPA. 
We win at the Supreme Court because clean water is for everyone. We win against fossil fuel plants so communities can breathe freely. If you believe what we believe, then help us fight the good fight and help us keep winning by going to earthjustice.org today. That's earthjustice.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me is Stephen Lee. He's the brand manager for the Ford Super Duty, the heavy-duty pickup truck. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Thanks for talking to us. Ford is making a big announcement, some uh, changes and improvements with its F-Series Super Duty. Yeah, you're absolutely right. As America's truck leader for 45 straight years with F-Series, we're really excited to introduce the all-new 2023 Super Duty. The engineering team, they've been hard at work on this thing. This, This thing has been redesigned inside and out with unprecedented levels of capability, purposeful technology throughout, and innovations both inside and outside of the truck. It isn't just about a big, heavy-duty pickup being able to haul a trailer anymore. You're right about that, especially as much time as our Super Duty drivers are spending in the vehicles, whether it's on the job site or it's driving across the country, whether it's uh, for heavy-duty recreation activities, driving that fifth-wheel RV across the country to a campsite, or it's or it's for work, driving to a job site that could be hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. Um, it, customers are spending a lot of time on the interior of the truck, so we certainly wanted to focus on that. The, the interior is all new on the 2023 Super Duty. It's highlighted by an available 12-inch center touchscreen, customizable digital instrument clusters that give the driver, the information that they want to know, whether it's towing-specific info, off-road specific info, or just general navigation and driver assist technology, they can customize that for for what it is that they need to know um, within the cluster and the available head-up display. The Super Duty, what is it that most of your customers purchase it for? What is its main purpose? By far, towing is the number one usage for heavy-duty trucks, especially Super Duty. And our engineering team, they take that to heart. And everything that they're doing to design and engineer this vehicle, they're focusing on towing. And they're asking themselves, how can we create a best-in-class towing experience for the customer? It's not only about the powertrain, but it's what, what features, what technology can we have to alleviate a lot of those pain points and, at the end of the day, make hard towing feel easy? And one of the best things about this, and really why we're talking to you, is that this is built in Avon Lake in northeast Ohio, right? You're absolutely right. We're really excited, our relationship that we have with the state of Ohio. The Ohio Assembly Plant employs approximately... Uh, 1,700 people um, that are absolutely working around the clock to build Super Duty trucks. Um, They're a huge part of our success um, at Ford, and we're really excited that we get to build Super Duty in the state of Ohio. And this is so neat because that plant, you go back to the 1970s and the Ford Econo line, the conversion vans and all that, that plant plays a huge role in Ford's history. You're absolutely right. And we've been fortunate to be building Super Duty there since the 2017 Super Duty um, and really excited to build this all-new one there and moving forward as well. You know, in recent years, you've dropped a lot of the sedans and have gone to SUVs and pickups. What does the future look like for the auto industry and Ford? So we know certainly uh, heavy-duty trucks, especially Super Duty, they serve a vital 
um, role, whether it's individual customers or commercial customers, they need the capability that, that heavy-duty trucks, especially Super Duty, provide. Um, that they need the capability that the diesel engines and the gas engines provide um, in this space where um, there's certainly a lot of excitement about electrification and EVs, but where we're at right now with the technology, these heavy-duty customers, they need the power of a Super Duty to, to run their business, to uh, build whatever it is that they're building on the job site. Um, they need this to contribute to their bottom line. Stephen Lee, brand manager for the Super Duty. Uh, Stephen, thanks a lot. Good luck. Thank you. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM at 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective. <laughs>